Welcome to Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Cyber and the Antioch Movement. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us for a while now, our desire is that by the end of our time together, you can say that you've fallen more in love with Jesus and have a greater passion for Him and His purposes in the earth. Thanks so much for joining us. And we hope that you enjoy today's episode. I said last night, I see this is a big family room. This is a family gathering, and we are inviting the father of the house, God himself, to come be at rest among us. And I wanted to share a couple of little thoughts before we unpack a portion of scripture. And uh, the first is this, is that when we talk about raising up the next generation, we often think of our children or young people, you know, maybe uh, 18 to 30 years old, whatever that generational thought is. But always remember that we all live in this generation. Everybody in this room, if you're alive, you're a part of this generation. And God has a call today for all people who name the name of Jesus to declare his glory not independently, but interdependent for the glory of God. When Lord and I first got married, God gave us this scripture, Psalm 103, 17. If we fear the Lord, righteousness will extend to our children's children. And of course, we believe that for our physical children, but that is also for our spiritual children. And as we are now getting a little bit older, um, we are as committed as ever to being fully engaged in all that God is doing now. And of course, we're investing in the next generation. And of course, we are celebrating everything that God's doing. But we want to be just as on fire as the fire we're trying to impart to the next generation. We're not saying, man, I wish I was 20 again. I'm saying, glory to God, I'm 58, living in the hour of my life. And I'm ready to go because Jesus is coming in a powerful, powerful way, but he's not just coming for an individual, he's coming for a people called the church. He's coming for any age of anyone that would fully surrender and be a part of this unity movement that is going to confound the world. Jesus said that they will that know us that we are disciples by our love for one another. He said that, that we should be one as he and the Father are one that the world may know. And when we lean into one another, even as the generations lean into one another under this common reality of the, of the centrality of Jesus, that unity then explodes on the earth. Oh my goodness, you have mothers and fathers that you love and respect, and they empower you and support you and contend for you and with you, and you have grandparents that you actually want to be with, and they want to be with you, and you guys all stay up and pray and seek God, and you carry one another's burdens, and you walk the deal through together, because there is a greater cause than simply survive or thriving in my little space, there is a people called the people of God that he is wanting to be made manifest on the earth in a way that we have yet to experience it, but it's not going to be through independence, it's going to be through interdependence, which by the way is different than codependence. <laughs> codependence is I'm not willing to get my needs met in God, I'm demanding you to meet my needs. When we submit to God, he meets our needs, and of course he meets needs through people, but we don't demand that, we receive that, and then out of that grace of God that we're experiencing, we become an interdependent community that expresses the glory of God. When I think about the Antioch movement and the friends that we have all around the world, uh, there is such a beauty here. If we would just see at the next level, and I just wanna invite you in, one of the sight, one of the things that God wants us to see is this multi-generational unity. Paul prayed it this way in Ephesians 4, I want the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity in the Spirit, of the Spirit. When we are in the Spirit together, when we're before God together, when we're contending for the mission of God together, there's a unity that comes not by the flesh, not by personal affinity, but it comes around our affection for God himself 
for the glory of Jesus. Surrender, not my will, but your will. Oh, God, be glorified in me. And then you're standing around with people that are eight years old and 80 years old and 18 years old, and you're liking arms together and say, all right, what do you need? What do you need? What do we need? Let's do it. There's a beauty that God is pulling together And that's why it's so important, things like last night, that spirit of divorce, I just thought that was so prophetic. I hope you heard something shift in the room. It's a spirit on us to go our own way because we didn't get our way. Let me say that again. (laughs) We go our own way because I didn't get my own way. And I don't know how you raised your kids, but that's not happening at our house. We... uh, (laughs) You can ask my kids. So they, we, we were going God's way, all of us, and mom and dad had to repent at times, and the kids needed to repent at times, but God was the leader of this house, and we were going to follow his ways because we weren't going to live for ourselves. We have such a short time to live. Living for yourself is way overrated. <laughs> then I want to remind us of a family word. You guys uh, uh, probably have heard me talk about the Queen Mary, but we got to bring it back up because it's God's family word to us, at least for this five-year stretch that started in 2021. I was uh, in the, in a, I had a dream, and I've, I've been telling people this in a, uh, Acts 2. It says, the Spirit of God will fall on all flesh. Your young men will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I've been having dreams like I've never had in my life, so I think I finally got my ARP card, my old man card, uh, which is being signified by more dreams than I've ever had in my life. So, <laughs> but in this dream, I'm, I'm in uh, New York Harbor overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, and God speaks to me so powerfully, just, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know how to describe audible, but I can just say the resounding voice of the Lord came and said, I'm conscripting the Antioch movement for such a time as this. And, and even in, as that voice is resounding, I'm asking myself, what does the word conscription mean? I think it has to do with the draft. I think it has to do with the war. And then all of a sudden in this dream, I see the Queen Mary, which I didn't know was the Queen Mary. I see this boat going from London to New York. And, um, and so I see this boat and then I'm saying, God, what are you saying? I'm conscripting the Antioch movement for such a time as this. And out of these two pictures, I wake up and then God speaks to me and he says, uh, and then, then I have another vision piece related to the Queen Mary. And he says, the answer's in the Queen Mary. And I'm like, Lord, conscription, I'm not sure what that is. I don't even know what the Queen Mary is. So uh, I have this experience with the Lord that I'm Googling, right? God's a source for me to, uh, for help. And uh, so I'm Googling conscription, and that's where they would draft people into the army uh, or the, the services. But they also could conscript land, and they could conscript vessels like boats and trucks and trains. They, it's conscripted by a government or allied group for the purpose to win the war. So then I, specifically about the Queen Mary, the Queen Mary was the, the gem of cruise liners and um, it was conscripted by the Allied forces. It was sent down to, Singa, uh, to um, Sydney, Australia. It was retrofitted. They took out all the luxury items, all the gold, all the paintings, all the furnishings because it needed to be turned from a cruise liner to a troop carrier. And it would come back to New York and where it could only uh, carry 3,000 people between the people who were working on the boat and the, the uh, guests on the boat. It went from carrying 3,000 to carrying 16,000. And it would break the world record for the amount of number of people. You can see that picture. They had 16,683 people carried on that ship. And they would take the old swimming pool and stack it seven uh, bunks high. Whatever it took to get the troops to, it would go to five different continents. And uh, many people would say that because of the retrofitting of the Queen Mary, that we were able to cut the war a year short, which means thousands, if not a million people's lives were saved because the ship was retrofitted and the troops went. Now, I know we, we can talk for a long time just on that alone, but let me just say, what is God saying to us as a family of churches? What's God saying to us as a family of churches is, it wasn't that we, we, uh, we were, uh, what's the word? It is a rebuke, but it is a gentle rebuke. 
we were drifting towards becoming a cruise liner as we got larger and more influential and more opportunities. It's just the nature of man. We were drifting more towards a cruise liner mentality, and God woke us up and said, that is not who you are. You are a troop carrier, of course. You are a battleship. You are made uh, to uh, impact the world. You're made to rescue men and women. You're made to sacrifice and surrender everything for the glory of God. That is who you are. And of course, we responded the best way that we know. But one of the things about conscription is that conscription comes on you, (laughs) right? You get conscripted. You don't even choose to be conscripted. And so in the midst of 2020 and 2021, God said, all right, I'll rip out all the luxuries and everything and anything, and I'll let you guys go through it and let a little fire burn up some stuff because I'm conscripting you to get you back to what your heart's desire is, is to be a fully surrendered people for the glory of God. And so I want to say thank you for those who have allowed the conscription phase to happen, allowed the pruning to burn off all the chaff, to re-solidify your hearts and your minds in Jesus first and foremost, in the body of Christ, staying with the boat, staying with the people of God for this journey because God is setting us up. He is setting us up for such a time as this because we are needed. That does not mean we are exclusive. We're just a people among this call to the whole body of Christ. We are probably a small part of the tribes that God is raising up in this hour, but we're a part. And and as a family, we must contribute to what God's doing in the body of Christ. And to do that, we must become a narrow people who have one passion, Jesus himself, a people who are committed to giving our lives away in full sacrifice, and a people who are committed to seeking and saving the lost that they may be rescued. So we, out of that Queen Mary War, we mapped out this thing that we were led of the Lord five years. So 2021 was about pruning for positioning. Was anybody pruned in 20 or 21, felt the pruning? Hey, that's encouraging. It wasn't just me. Praise the Lord. Pruning for positioning. 2022 has been Ignite the Boiler Room. The unique thing about the Queen Mary, it had four major boilers, 24 sub-boilers. It was the fastest ship on water. Hitler had given a $250,000 ransom to, or, uh, 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 payment to any U-boat that could take her out. They could outrun the torpedoes. That's how fast it was. It was all based on the boiler room, but the boiler room was a place of great sacrifice. People would go down there in groups of four to six. They had literally wood blocks on their shoes because rubber shoes would burn through and the wood would burn down because of the heat down there. And they would stay for four-hour shifts and they would do whatever it took to make sure the steam was pure, to make sure that the power was fired, make sure that the gas was just right. Everything was working together among the people that were down there laboring and contending for the glory of God. And let me just encourage everybody in this room, everyone is called to be an intercessor. Everybody is called to carry the burden of the Lord for somebody. Could be a friend, could be a neighbor, could be a nation. But when we say, Lord, here I am, I am yours, God puts burdens on our hearts and he intends to show us how to pray because here's what happens. When we pray with him, it's going to the garden with him. Jesus said, could you not tarry with me one hour? His guys fell asleep. But then what happens after his resurrection, he puts, them, he puts his spirit in their flesh that could not do it on their own and then empowers them to be intercessors to change the world. Everybody, by the spirit of the Lord, has had God put his grace in us to intercede and to pray. And as we, in 2024, we said, so ignite the boiler room. God, get the boiler room fired up. You've given us this metaphor of the church being the ship. Ignite the boiler room, God. Fire it up for your glory. And so we've been activating. We've been responding. We've been begging, pleading, setting up plans, talking, preaching, teaching. And let me just encourage you, come on. Just jump in with us. Whether it's five minutes a day or whether it's an hour a day or whether it's two hours a day, every prayer counts because everybody's needed. The statement that God gave us was this phrase, we are to be a Psalm 27-4 people who are committed to a Psalm 24-7 prayer movement that we might ignite a Matthew 24-14 outcome. 
I know that many of you guys are familiar with those passages. You can look them up yourself, but today I'm not gonna go in depth about that except to do this. I want to honor a group of people who took up the cause to pray us through 2020 and 2021, a group of young people that heard the call of the Lord in uh, April 19th of 2020, a group of friends got together, they felt burdened of the Lord to nightly, uh, six nights a week it ended up, to get on a Zoom call from around the country and contend and just hear God and figure out what it means to be a Psalm 27 for people who hear the Lord, then pray in the kingdom of God around that so that there might be the outcomes of the Lord in our lifetime. And they just, just I, I, I can just say, I know I'll find out in heaven for sure the magnitude of it, but Laura and I know that these folks' prayers and your prayers carried us through. Nobody makes it on their own. Nobody's strong enough. I'm not. I'm a weak man who lives by the grace of God. And if the grace of God is not evident and pulsating in, in every part of my life, I can tell when people are praying and people aren't praying. That's how weak I am. Yes, I have my personal responsibility for God, but it is the prayers of the saints for one another and, and carrying each other in the context of community that allows us to make it. And so I, I want every, uh, um, Brandon Seibert and Stephanie Abazia have been leading this out, but many, many of you have been a part of it. Seriously, I wonder, everybody who's been on those calls, if you've been just a few times to the last two and a half years, would you guys stand up right now? We wanna honor you as intercessors to have carried us. Come on, come on, everybody who's been on those calls. Thank you. Thank you. And there's many, many more who are not in this room. I want you to know God sees you I see you, we see you, we are grateful. And you can join them. And we're joining more than ever to be a 24-7 prayer movement. One other thing that I really felt from the Lord here before I get into my message. <laughs> hey, welcome to the family room. Dad, talk, Dad talks too much, it's all right. It's, as long as it's God, we're fine. Isaiah 54, two and three is a key promise to us. It says this, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not, lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess nations and resettle desolate cities. All right, Laura and I are in our 50s. That'd be anybody under us age-wise, and even those that are above us, if you are a descendant, here's the promise. <laughs> you're gonna spread abroad to the right and the left, and you're gonna possess nations. Where we saw souls saved and we saw something, you're gonna possess nations and resettle desolate cities. No matter how small you feel or how great you feel is really in, uh, <laughs> inconsequential. It is a surrender to a community and a promise from God over a people. And whether that is Waco, Texas, or whether that is another city in our nation, or whether that is a nation in the earth, you're a part of the family promise. If you lean into God and lead into community and lean into the things that God's speaking to us, you will be sent out with a unique grace on your life to establish, to plant, to build and rebuild and restore what God is doing in the earth. I love um, the story of a guy named William Carey, uh, and I sure hope you get a chance to look through that revival history. I mean, I can't walk out there with just being overwhelmed. Go in that little white thing and then spin out and go around, read all the, because this is, these are the heroes of the faith. It's like Bill Adams, we shouldn't put Bill up there. You know, all these different people, moves of God. We need to know what God has done biblically and we need to know what God has done historically because we live off the shoulders of those who've gone before. <clears throat> and one of those guys, a guy named William Carey, William Carey was in his late 20s and early 30s, and he was so burdened by the churches of his day that he was involved in because they had what was called hyper-Calvinism, and it was this idea of God is sovereign, he's just gonna save wherever he's gonna save, so we don't need to go to India, Africa, South America, or anywhere else. We just need to hold the fort down and get better. 
That sound familiar? Let's just take care of ourselves. You know, they, all those people out there, what about our own front yard, right? But the deal about Acts 1-8 is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and that is not one, two, three, four. That is 1-A, 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 all of it for the glory of God. That's who we are, whether it's through intercession, praying, giving, going, as we talked about. William Carey, in his burden for the loss of the earth, God gave him Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. And he, went to, we, and he said, Lord, I'm ready to go to India. But then uh, God said, I want you to compel and to preach to the churches and to bring them into this move of God. So he went around church after church after church for two years, compelling them, asking them to go to India, to Africa, and to South America. He eventually would go himself. A couple of the group that went, they would bring coffins with them and they buried two of them by the time they had landed. He eventually would uh, bury his wife there, a kid, or uh, uh, one of his children. He would uh, be there for 30 something years before his death and he would translate 32 languages, the scriptures by himself basically. He, he was uh, uh, the, 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 the guy who laid the groundwork for the move of God in India. And here was his deal. His deal was they, they, they would meet him and they'd say, well, you're not that, you know, what we thought you were greater than, I mean, like we thought you would be a little more dynamic, a little more, you know, cool or something like that. And he, he's noted for this deal. He said, this one thing I can do, I can plod. That's his famous quote. What do you, what do you, uh, Mr. Carey, what do you give all your success to? I can plod. And I never quit. Woo! The turtle outruns the hare every time. Still true. William Carey is a father of modern day missions. That coastlands movement that stirred young people to go to the coastlands and give their life would eventually become the inlands movement. A guy named Hudson Taylor would plant two of uh, all people in their 20s out and around to every province in China. The Boxer Rebellion of 1900, most everybody but two of them were martyred for the gospel that only fueled the, the, the future of the church in China, which now is up to 100 million after all kinds of craziness around the world. It became the coastlands movement, the inland movement, then became the tribals movement, then became the people groups movement so that all can hear and all can know God is always raising up a generation of people that are willing to go, willing to surrender because he has a purpose and a plan for his gospel to be preached to all the earth and then the end shall come. All right, those are my initial thoughts. If you have a Bible, open to Acts, or excuse me, Isaiah Acts wouldn't be bad either. Uh, Isaiah 6, hopefully a very familiar passage. Isaiah says this in verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. I mean, I could meditate on that all day long. <laughs> that one thought. In the, king of, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the foundation of the thresholds, it says in other versions, the, the foundations of the doorposts, they trembled and shook and opened at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah speaking, woe is me for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and he said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. It's another place just to pause. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Let's break that down just a little bit. 
King Uzziah was predominantly a good king. Like all kings, the scriptures would say he flourished, he honored God, he prospered, and then he would struggle with sin, and then he wouldn't prosper, and then he would come back to the Lord. But all things said and done, King Uzziah did, had a pretty good run. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, God spoke to a young man named Isaiah, and <clears throat> Isaiah saw the Lord. Every generation has to see the Lord. You can't see the Lord that I saw. You gotta see the Lord that saved you. We have to see the Lord. You have to see him by revelation as he reveals himself. That's why Paul would pray for the Ephesians. Oh, I pray that you may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints, surpassing greatness towards us who believe God uh, through Paul is praying for us even today. Oh, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And I can say from years of pursuing this uh, on a, a, a daily basis, I meditate on, on some aspect of who is the Father, some aspect of who is Jesus, some aspect of who the Holy Spirit is, because my whole life is wrapped around the revelation of him. The more I see him, the more secure I am. The more I see him, the more hope I have. The more see, I see him, the more I can hear him. The more I can hear him, the more I can be led by him. The more I live in him and I can have confidence in his grace and confidence in his leadership, I don't have to live insecure or fearful because he's not insecure or fearful. And as we behold him, we're transformed to be like him. So I just want you to know the devil has one goal, for you not to see the Lord. Because if you see him and you know him, all things are possible. But until you see him or until you know him, nothing's possible. We're relegated to ourselves. It's our attachment to God Almighty. It's the glory of God that carries the glory of man. It is God himself that allows us to be his people for his glory. Have you seen the Lord? Isaiah would talk about the Lord. I mean, the book of Isaiah is just filled with revelation of God. By chapter nine, he says, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He calls God the God of mercy, the God of grace. He calls him the suffering servant. He's the Messiah to come. He calls him a comforter. He calls him a shepherd. He calls him the ruler over all creation of the nations, the renewer of our strength to walk and to run, the one who continued feels, and I could go on and on and on of the revelations, but he bookends this act, this Isaiah 6 experience with the the same scripture. I didn't know friends was going to share that last night, but out of Isaiah uh, 66, where it says, this one will I look to him who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. His revelation at the beginning is the end revelation at the end because the glory and almightiness of God is what we need in order to fully trust God with our lives. Let me, let me give you an example Isaiah 40, one of my favorite passages. Uh, I literally, I guarantee you, I've, I've meditated on this in the morning a thousand times. And that's not an exaggeration, at least a thousand times. I, years I start my day just meditating on Isaiah 40. I'm just gonna take you in to starting in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now, if y'all have known me through the years, you've heard me preach on this, but I got excited about it today, again. And that is this, the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean are in the hollow of his hands. I mean, I've been on ships at times, and I was a little concerned being out there sometimes, but, I'm th I, but I see God literally holding the water of the Pacific Ocean in his hand, and he's able to carry me through if he called me to be on that vessel. Wow, he carries the waters in the hollow of his hand. He weighs the mountains in a balance. The Rocky Mountains, the Himalayas, whoop, no big deal. Let's see, I wonder which way is more. God knows, we'll find out when we get to heaven. But the, the, the immense bigness and mightiness 
of God. He weighed the mountains and balance in the pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? I can't tell you how many times this, this just turns me into repentance. Whoa, God, forgive me for telling you what to do. Forgive me for thinking that I know what to do. Lord, please let me not offend your gracious spirit. You speak, God, and I will follow. I am yours, your almighty God. If you hold the waters in your hands and you weigh the mountains in a balance, all I need to do is hear, I lay down before you, almighty God. With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? When we talk about God, what did you make? That is just stupid. It's not even, I mean, God Almighty created you. God Almighty put you together in your mother's womb. God Almighty made the cells work and the oxygen and, and the lungs and the head and the brain. And God made the planets and the earth and everything in it. You, you had nothing to do with it. It is just so foolish for man to exalt himself in the face of Almighty God. You had nothing to do with your salvation other than humbling yourself and responding to him, acknowledging him. That's really what salvation is. Yes, I acknowledge I need a savior. I repent, of course. I humble myself. There's a partnership there, but my part is so small compared to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and then him putting his Holy Spirit in me. Wow. With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Now, I've shared this one story too many times, but I need to share it again today to say, how does all this connect to the nations? When we go into the nations... Uh, sometimes it's risky. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes the door's not open. <laughs> but can I just say that God is always wanting to open the door for his gospel to be preached and people to be saved. So um, I've been meditating on this passage and we were trying to get into Afghanistan in the mid-1990s and because we'd had a word, had a world mandate. Uh, the mailers had heard God say Afghanistan and they said, well, how are we gonna get there? Well, the Taliban was in control and they're not giving visas out of Kabul, but the Northern Alliance, you can uh, supposedly get in there. But then we land in Tashkent, Uzbekistan with this desire to get into Afghanistan. I told the story before, I didn't have any money. Literally, Laura and I, she had taken $80. I took $20. I had a plane flight. I land in Uzbekistan. Colby Lehman was the team leader at the time there. And I, Colby comes and meets me and he said, hey, we were in a prayer meeting earlier this week and, and one of our YWAM friends, we were waiting on God and, and um, he, he heard that I was coming in and, and he said, the Lord told me to provide anything that he needs financially when he gets here. So I literally fly by faith. I'm there and they walk out and immediately, okay, now we've got the resources that we need, but we still need a visa. So that must have been a Saturday because the next morning I was invited to speak at the International Church where all the expatriates come. And I'm at the International Church and I preach on Isaiah 40. And I'm talking about the bigness of God and the greatness of God and the nations are dropping a bucket and I get this little water out and doop, doop, that's just a drop in the bucket. And I begin to say, Uzbekistan's a drop in the bucket, Afghanistan's a drop in the bucket, the United States of America's a drop in the bucket compared to Almighty God. And then I make this bold statement, God's called us to go into Afghanistan and we are gonna get there by the grace of God. Pray with us, trust God with us and we pray and cry out. Well, at the end of our time, this young man comes up to me and he says, hello, my name is Ayoub. And he said, my father is the chief of staff to General Dostum in the Northern Alliance. And he said, I am believer. They do not know I'm a believer, but I, if you really want to get to Afghanistan, I will talk to my father and make a way. I said, all right, Ayoub, let's do this, man. <laughs> so the, the next day, we get a call. We get picked up in this uh, forerunner with two gunmen on each side, one in the back. And we go and we meet General Dulcem, who was the ruling leader of the Northern Alliance for, for Afghanistan. He was meeting with President Karamov of Uzbekistan. And we 
get, get out of the car and they, they tell us, <laughs> he said, look, uh, you, you stay here next to us. You, you do not extend your hand unless he's extended his hand, etc." And Dolsum's a big guy and he walks out, two gunmen on his side and there's uh, four of us, you know, from Waco, just ha you know, <laughs> kind of walk up there, hello, sir. And he invites us in. We sit down, he literally had a throne. So he's like on this chair, double wide chair, and we're sitting at his side, you know, and um, he said, well, what do y'all want? You know, <laughs> and I'd already prepared myself, said, look, we're gonna be bold about Jesus because here's the deal. This guy's a Muslim, yes, uh, that, that is concerning if, if uh, you know, I'm sure that people's lives are in jeopardy and he was known as a killer. So it's not like this guy didn't have a history. But I said, if we're not bold with Jesus now, we'll never be then. If we won't let us in in the name of Jesus now, we're not gonna stay in in the name of Jesus. And we're, we can't play games here. And so I tell him, you know, we love the Lord. I love Jesus. We pray for Afghanistan and out of our love for Jesus, we have a little medical foundation, education foundation. We want to come and serve your people in the name of Jesus. And then I had a, this specific thing from the Lord. I said, is there anything that you or your family need? Because we want to care for your family. And guy, I mean, this big warlord dude, tear kind of, he said, no one's ever asked me that. No one ever asked me how they could care for my family. He said, I'm going to think about that one. He said, Here, I'm going to make a way for you guys to come in through the north. You'll come to my palace. We'll meet and we'll talk about the answer to that question, how you can help my family. But I'm going to make a way for you to help my people. Well, long story short, very quickly here, we get in there, we end up at his palace and all that stuff. We meet his number two guy, a guy named General Malek. We share the gospel with him. He asked, what do y'all wanna do? We said, we wanna go to the universities because in the North they had men and women being educated where the Taliban was not educating them. And we stood up and we said, we just wanna talk about our lives, talk about American culture and talk about religion. So we share the gospel with the whole medical school because what's there to lose, right? You're already risking your life being in Afghanistan. You might as well share the whole gospel. And we pray and bless everybody. And then we went to the, um, to the uni key university and we did the same thing. And General Malek was with us. And we were looking forward to the next day of meeting General Dolston. There were people fasting and praying here in Waco for us. And the fast ended around two in the morning Afghan time. And all of a sudden, I wake up and get violently ill. And I mean throwing up like I've rarely ever thrown up. And I'm, I'm, we're waiting for General Dolstam to meet in this UN meeting. And as we're there, all of a sudden, I have to go over to the sink. I throw up. And then you hear a helicopter land. And, and you hear all this scuttle around. And they say, General Dolstam has to go to the front lines. And it's not going to be able to meet with you. And then that's three more days of a whole other story of me almost just dying of salmonella. But I survived and arrived and all that good stuff. But here's the deal. General Malek was the guy that we ended up sharing the gospel with fully and completely. A few months later, he would try to do a coup against General Dolstam, and he was killed, he and his family. God somehow found some goofballs in Waco, Texas that were willing to hear his voice, go in and make a way for this man to hear the gospel and for, for, to make a way also for our work in Afghanistan. Until the most recent deal, we had people in Afghanistan for 20 plus years. They're now in a neighboring country serving uh, Afghans, et cetera. Our hearts are intertwined with Afghanistan because of Isaiah 40. Now you missed that. Because you say, oh, what a cool story. You know, I would never do that. If you see the Lord, you might. If you don't see the Lord, you won't. It's not about fear or not fear. It's not about greatness or not. It's not about being big or small or talented or not talented. It's who sees the Lord. When you see the Lord and you hear his voice, all things are possible. All right, so he sees the Lord, he falls on his face. Y'all gonna have to listen quicker because I gotta keep going here, all right. He sees the Lord, falls on his face, and his sin is revealed. Genesis 3, just speaking of sin, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them soils on covering. They heard the, the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among uh, the trees of the garden. So this is original sin. This is what Isaiah is dealing with. He's dealing with what we all deal with. Our, our, what what uh, one theologian says, we, we are look at life and we try to take what we want instead of receive what God has given. Sin ultimately means missing the mark. It's when we take life in our hands. That seems good, that seems delightful, that seems like something I should do, but Francis talked about last night. I've got an idea, I just happen to be wrong, and history proves out that if you choose sin and take it into your hands, it will burn your life and ultimately burn others around you. So in the end, all idolatry and all sin is a relational breakdown, not just a behavioral breakdown. All right, real quickly here, you guys. The, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve and says, has God really said? So they began to listen to themselves instead of listen to God. One of the scariest scriptures to me in the Bible is in Ezekiel, where it says God gave them over to their own idols and spoke to them through their idols. Whatever you behold and set up, you will even say, I'm hearing God and make decisions that are unholy and broken because you've allowed an idol to be, be the center of your life instead of God himself. And ultimately, it's a relational breakdown. When I choose my way, I'm saying, God, I don't trust you in your way. When I desire another love other than God's, he understands there's empathy out here. That's why he died on the cross, right? That's why he pours out grace. This is not about the God's provision for my waywardness, but it has to be put in the context of relationship if we're going to stay clean. Because here's what's happening, is God is calling us in this hour. He's calling us to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 35, the highway of holiness, the highway of holiness of which no one will see the Lord without holiness. Of course, that's the blood of Jesus, but there's a highway of holiness. He clears out the debris so that you can see the Lord, you can taste and see that he's good, and you can trust him beyond your own passions. It's a process, and there's grace in the process, but the highway of holiness is what God is calling us to as a people to get back on the track and back on the train of what he has for us. There is something about goodness, that fruit of the Spirit, that is so uh, rare in, the, in this day where there's a cleanness in my spirit that I can hug someone appropriately, I can encourage them rightly, I can serve them in business or whatever my interactions were without manipulation and without seduction and without brokenness. There's a goodness about the people of God submitted to the goodness of God. We see the Lord and it creates an allegiance to him over our own desires. So here, here's the big three when it comes to sin, right? Y'all ready? The big three, though there are 3,000, by the way. So if yours isn't mentioned, no worries. Just yeah. <laughs> All right, money and possessions. Money and possessions, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jesus goes through Matthew 6, tells all the things he's going to provide for. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So here it is. It is normal for you to want to provide for your household. Work is of God. It is normal for you to be diligent. Nice things are fine. All that good stuff. But ultimately, the, the calling of Jesus to his disciples was leave your nets, leave your provision, leave your job, and come follow me. And then as we know, many of the disciples were doctors and carpenters and lawyers. They, they picked back up their vocations uh, later on in life. But the point of the whole deal is, I am going to trust you with everything and not predetermine my life because I'm not a taker, I'm a receiver, right? So I receive God your word. Okay, go get a doctorate degree. Absolutely, I am all in. Here's where I'm opening a door for a job. This is where I'm opening a door to serve. So please don't hear me, but this isn't the point of the message today is to empower you in your workplace. The point of today's message is to get you surrendered enough so there is power in your workplace. 
There's no power in your workplace if you're getting validity out of it or you're obsessed with money because of it and tipping your hat to Jesus and giving a few dollars. That's not the deal. The deal is the power in the workplace, the apostolic, prophetic man or woman of God on assignment in politics and healthcare and business and everything else is the submitted one who's surrendered and not in it for the money or the fame because you don't need it. You don't need it. It is scary when somebody doesn't need anything from you. When they just purely love you and purely serve you and they're content with their wages, that's scary. That's powerful. Again, all these are messages I just wanna, for another day, all right. All right, Mount Everest of sin, <laughs> at least in our current world, is the idol of sex, sexuality, most writers, theologians would say it has become the idol of all idols and until it is appropriately dealt with, it will keep ravaging us. And I'm gonna talk in a moment about the consequences of that, but I wanna read scriptures, several scriptures, and I want you guys just to let it roll over you. Now listen, we are all broken. I am a broken person, have been, am currently, and on my way to getting better. So this is not about perfection. I am not up here preaching. I'm preaching to us. At the end of this message, I will be the first person on my face because I fear God sharing this message. <laughs> but here we go, Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. This sound familiar what we've been talking about. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Boom, there it is. We worship the creature instead of the creator. Therefore we lived by our creature passions instead of God's design. Who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. The same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with women committing indecent, uh, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their persons the due penalty of their area, error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Wow. And can I just say this? Yes, they mention homosexual sin. But there is heterosexual sin. There is uh, addiction to pornography. There is complexity in our understanding of sexuality alone. And it all gets down to this. We quit worshiping the creator as the definer of life and we started worshiping ourselves and listening to one another, as Francis said yesterday, we decided we know better than God. And that is scary, and it is unwise at the very least, and it will destroy you at the very most. Somebody has to get serious about God defining life and not man, not only in our sexuality, but in all of life. And there is great empathy for wherever you are in the journey, but we cannot move the fixed point of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In this context, it does not mean salvation. It means the kingdom, being a kingdom, reality of the kingdom of God. Saved people struggle with sexual brokenness. You're saved by the grace of God. That gives you power to work it through. But listen, we wanna be more than just saved. We wanna be kingdom of God people. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. So whether we get into the sexual stuff, just take that. Fornicator, idolater, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of 
of the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11 says this, I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness. Paul's saying, I'll say the same thing. Could you just bear with me a little bit longer? But indeed you are bearing with me, thank you, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that is to Christ, that I may present you as a pure virgin, but I am afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So when we talk about sexuality and sexual brokenness and all the perusals of all that, yes, we are human vessels, we are broken, but I want you, I want you to understand, it's ultimately who are you trusting with your body? Who are you trusting with your mind? Who are you trusting with your life? The one who designs you has a purpose and a plan of how you should live your life, and he also gives power by the Holy Spirit that the highway of holiness might strengthen your life, and then what happens is when we don't give away all of our affections to other loves, but we give it first and foremost to Jesus, the one we've been betrothed to by his grace, then what happens out of that, we have strength in our lives to serve other people. Okay, one last passage, Revelations 2, 20 through 22, but I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And guys, I'm just trying to be obedient to the Lord. This is the Bible. But here's what it says. For he or she who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. We can't come to a nations conference and send you out and pray over you without authority. And authority comes with a chaste heart and a chaste life. We are not talking about perfection. We are not talking about stumbling. And we all stumble, my friends. But we know where to go in the grace of God. We know what the answer is. So we keep coming back to the throne room and receiving grace and empowerment to walk in a fresh way. But here's the deal, my friends. God wants to give authority over in your life. You are made in the image of God. He wants to put power on you and give you authority over the nations, literally, that when you speak the word of God, the power of Jesus on your lips will be directly proportioned to the revelation and the submission of your heart. That's where the authority comes from. Sometimes people say, you know, oh, Jimmy, I heard that story, or you did this, or you did that. I was like, so can you. Everybody can walk in the authority of God if we're submitted to God. If we see the Lord, one last idol, and we'll almost wrap it up here. <laughs> and if we, if we haven't already mentioned it, the idol of self, just, just self, self-direction. I'm in charge of my life, controlling what I, what I want to do, when I want to do it. I direct my life. I do whatever I want. Nobody tells me what to do. Somebody acts like that's a badge of honor. That's, uh, you just need to repent when that comes out of your mouth. I will find my identity in some position or status, and then I will use my power for my own gain. That is the centrality of self. I will find identity, I will find status, I will find money, I will find power, and when I get there, I will use it for my gain and I won't see the needs of others because I got there by my own way. Listen, my friends, this deal about if you lose your life, you'll save it, it's true. Uh, 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 Trey, we were at a, a CPI the other day and, and, and it's been two hours talking to the group and it was one of those, doesn't always happen, just God came. It was like, whoa. I mean, I was learning stuff while I was talking and, you know, and I was like, wow, that's really good. And, and so those are the fun times. And Trey made this note at the end. <laughs> he said, does Jimmy seem sad about giving up his life? I mean, is, does this guy seem bummed out <clears throat> because he's sacrificed or whatever. Does he see, he said, no, he's joyful. Listen guys, I am 58 years old. I have known the Lord for 41 years and it's embarrassing how far I have to go, but I'm touching the hem of his garment and I'm coming up the train, I'm coming up the robe, coming up the train of the robe 
because the time is now. The time is now. I am giddy about what God's going to do now, what he may do today, how he might speak to somebody. Do you know I get thrilled when somebody walks up to you and they say, they had a scripture that I was thinking about. You know, God didn't give me a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind, and their lights go on their head, and they're like, wow, God spoke to me. I love that. And yes, I've seen God do bigger things than that, but not really, because the biggest thing in the world is the voice of God would speak to a mere man and encourage the heart by grace. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. We are the answer to the world's problems, not out of arrogance, but because we're attached to the one who is all powerful, the ultimate overcomer by the grace of God. Well, (laughs) hey, thank you. Not everybody feels that way, but I appreciate that. (laughs) Then Isaiah, he's undone, right? Lord brings the coal and forgives. If there's anything I've experienced in the last two years of my life, it's the grace of God. I still remember Francis speaking about three or four world mandates ago, and he was speaking on mercy. And he said, does God give partial mercy or full mercy? He said, how much do you want? Would you like like 90% mercy? 10% left over just to grovel in a little bit? What, what, is it that you, what percentage of mercy do you believe in? And what I've found about God is that he's 100% mercy. He's 100% forgiving 100% of the time because he can't be anything but himself. Therefore, when I sin, I come to the advocate, Jesus, and I receive his forgiveness, and I'm empowered again to live holy unto him. And that's amazing. Isaiah experienced it in a very dramatic way, but we can experience day by day by faith. He forgives all of our iniquities. How many? How many? How many times you done it? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's how many times he's forgiven you, right? He, just however many times you're dishing it out is how many times he's coming with grace because grace is greater than it and your stuff, no matter what. So once he encounters the Lord and lays it all out, then shoo, grace of God comes, and then this voice goes out, "Who will go for me?" <laughs> Who will go for me? The the resounding voice of heaven. You know, angels are saying, who shall go? Who shall go? And that's the voice you're going to be hearing all weekend long. It's the voice of the Lord. And Isaiah's response, here am I. Send me, God. Send me. Send me. The, The picture I have in mind is this, is that if I will lay down like this, then it will be a track a train track for God to come down and roll into his purpose and his plan. If I will call out the garbage, not by my own effort, but by grace and mercy and the power of the Lord, he will create a highway of holiness that will allow me to see him again and then be a part of what he's doing and have something to give away everywhere I go. There's some days I get so excited because I don't know what God's gonna do today. I'm like, if we pray, whoa, something's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna get a word. Some breakthrough's gonna happen because we're with him. And he's always drawing, always wooing, always calling. All right. Thank you, Lord. 50 years ago in Dallas, Texas, things were bad. Things were bad in the world. Communist China was taking over and ruled all their people with a vicious iron fist. Russia, we were concerned that they were going to send nuclear bombs our way, and there was great scare uh, around that. We were in the middle of a Vietnam War that seemed just crazy to be involved in, and young men and women that we all knew were being shipped off to Vietnam and coming back maimed and marred and dead. There was, a, it, there was a rising on campuses protesting not only the war, but there were race riots. There were political assassinations during the previous four years, and Robert F. Kennedy and MLK, and uh, there, was, there was just all these tragedies. And if you were dropped in in 1972, you would say, 
I don't know what's going on. And as a believer, you say, is this the end times? I mean, it, it, was, it was out of control. In the midst of it, though, God began to work among a group of young people. And he began to move a bunch of, a, around a bunch of hippies and began to call them to himself. And they began to experience uh, just visitations of the Lord and literally hundreds turned into thousands that were being baptized and, and were giving their testimonies. And there was a move of God called the Jesus People Movement. Well, in the midst of this, a guy Bill Bright and of Campus Crusade, and now called Crew, a guy named Billy Graham, who most of you are familiar with, Lauren Cunningham of YWAM, other leaders said, we've got to gather everybody together for a great place of convocation and a great place of sending. And so they descended in Dallas, Texas, and they had, uh, it was 80,000 registered, and they would have up to 120,000 come for the evening concerts. And literally people were just undone with Jesus. It would be a catalytic moment that would change missions history in our lifetime. And really more than we know, and we'll find out in heaven, it saved a nation from literal destruction. As some of those pieces kind of ironed out and worked through and it bought some time, if you will, along the way, because history ultimately rides on revivals happening consistently. And when your back's against the wall, whether it's your personal life or your family life or a city or a nation or in the nations, the scripture is always clear, turn to the Lord and pray and ask him to do the miraculous because we need him. On the front page of Life Magazine, we've got a picture there. There they are at the Cotton Bowl. They had this deal, one way Jesus. Don't you love that? One way, the only way. And that generation again had a move of God we can evaluate it through history, but what we do know is literally most of what, what North American missions came out of that movement, most of the churches that were planted and the different things that have happened over the last 50 years. Well, it's 50 years later, my friends. 50 stands for Jubilee and 50 also stands for Pentecost. We need another visitation of the Holy Spirit. We need another move of God. We need the Spirit of the Lord to fall on us to equip us, to empower us, to cleanse us, and then to catapult us here, there, and everywhere. It's not over, it's just beginning. It's in darkness when God shines the brightest. And this moment in history, he's inviting you into. No matter how small you feel or how significant you feel, remember coming to God puts you in the middle of what he's doing in our generation. Everybody say, our generation. All right. Let's stand together. You were given a little card <clears throat> when you came in. It says, here am I, send me. We read those cards from a 1998 move of God that we had at World Mandate where people wrote down their commitments to the Lord. Out of those commitments, we literally were a part of a move of God in the Middle East that was historic. We saw inroads in the Buddhist world, the Hindus world. We had people all over the world, people sacrificing their lives for the gospel because they heard the voice of the Lord in a moment like this. So we got a, we got a little bit of time here. We got a three-step process we're gonna do, all right? The first thing we're gonna do is we're just gonna come to the Lord. And I wanna encourage you, man, if you need to lay some train tracks, that looks like this, right? If you just need to humble yourself before God, it looks like this. If you need somebody to pray for you because of the bondage and the brokenness, we'll have people to pray for you. But we need to just take a moment right now and just respond in surrender as Isaiah did when he saw the Lord. So can we just do that? If you feel called by God to surrender, to just surrender it all again to him, whether it's vocation or location or whether it's sin patterns or whether it's relationships or desire, just to betroth yourself again to God. Again, if you're there in your seat, don't feel led to come up to the front. You can just get on your knees or just sit down and open your hands. We just need a moment here to surrender. Just surrender whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in you.
I'm just going to ask the guys to sing over us. Of course, some of our prayer teams, you can go and pray if you feel led. But I just want a holy moment here. I'm just going to let the Spirit of God just take this sacrifice and begin to breathe on us. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Seibert and the Antioch Movement. For more information, please visit jimmysibert.com and antioch.org. We'll see you next time.